0: Well, this morning we're continuing in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and so I would encourage you to take your Bibles and open there with me to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we're continuing what we started last week. This morning is part 2 of what it means to be a content Christian. Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 4 that he had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was in. Whether he was living off of humble means or whether he was living in prosperity. He had learned that no matter what the situation was, no matter what the circumstances were that he was in, he was going to be content. And there were three ways that we looked at as to how you and I can learn to be content. Three ways that you and I can have contentment in our own lives. We saw, first of all, that to be content, we must trust in God's sovereignty. We must trust in God's sovereignty. That was Paul's life. In fact, he was able to rejoice in the Lord greatly. His joy was found in the Lord because he trusted in the sovereignty of God. He didn't rejoice because of the gift that the Philippian believers had brought him, but he rejoiced knowing that God is sovereign in always providing for him. No matter what situation he was in, no matter what circumstances he was in, he could trust in the sovereignty of God, and he did. He trusted in the sovereignty of God, knowing that God was going to provide for him. He knew that God was working through the Philippians to send him a gift while he was there in prison in Rome. And he knew that all was being worked out under the sovereign hand of God. All of it, his entire life was being worked out under the sovereign hand of God. And for that, he rejoiced. You see, Paul had learned that whether he was a free man traveling from church to church, spreading the gospel, or locked up in prison in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier 24-7, he was going to trust in God's sovereignty. And he recognized that his life was being lived out under the divine providence of God. Everything was being controlled by God. He knew that his entire life, God was controlling every aspect of it. And he trusted in God's Sovereignty. And then when that becomes a reality in our lives, that will help us to be content when we trust in the sovereignty of God. Then we saw, second, that to be content, we must learn to be satisfied. We must learn that in every area of our life, we must be satisfied. Paul said in verse 11, not that I speak from want. Paul didn't have want Paul was satisfied that no matter what the situation was that he was in, he didn't have a want. Whether he had little or he had lots, he had learned that no matter what the situation was that God had in store for him, he was going to be satisfied. Because that was exactly what God had for him. If he was in a situation with little food, he was satisfied. If he was in a situation with lots of food, he was satisfied. If he had a lot of material stuff, he was satisfied. If he was suffering needs materially, he was satisfied. He learned to be content because he didn't have wants. He had learned to be satisfied in whatever situation he was in. And then third, we saw that to be content, we must depend upon Christ's strength. We must depend upon Christ's strength. Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was only able to get through all of his tough situations because he knew that his strength to endure did not come from himself. But it came from Christ when he needed inner strength, physical strength to continue to move on in the work of the Lord, the work that God had called him to do. When he needed that strength, he knew that he couldn't depend upon himself, but he had to go outside of himself to Christ. He had to depend upon Christ. And because his reliance was upon Christ, it was then that he was able to learn contentment. You see, he had to take his eyes off of himself. If we want to learn to be content, if we want to be content Christians, we must learn to take our eyes off of self and look to Christ and depend upon Him in every situation. And any time your eyes are fixed on Christ, you will be content because your eyes are fixed upon Him. And that was Paul. He had learned to be content. Well, there's a fourth way that we're going to look at this morning on how to learn to be a content Christian. But before we look at this fourth point, let me read our passage for us in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 14. Follow along with me as I read our passage for us. Paul says in verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians That at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we work our way through these verses here this morning, I want you to see the care and the concern that the Philippian believers have for Paul. Not only the, but not only the, the care and the concern that the Philippian believers have for Paul, but even the care and the concern that Paul has while he's in prison for the Philippian believers. And it's this concern for others that taught Paul contentment. Which is what our fourth point is here this morning. The way that we can learn to be content is to be concerned about other saints. To be concerned about other saints. If you want to learn how to be content in your own life, learn to be concerned about others. In fact, that was Paul. Even in his imprisonment, he is still concerned about the Philippian believers. Notice the shift there in verse 14. Paul has just told them in verse 13 that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. But then Paul says in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well. You see the shift there? Where he's just gone from talking about himself. I've learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you Philippian believers, you have done well. Now he turns his attention to them because he's concerned about them. What Paul is doing here as he's writing this letter is he's explaining himself so that they don't get the wrong idea about what he has just said. Remember, back in verse 11, he said, not that I speak from want, and then he says, I have learned to be content, and then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what might the Philippian believers be thinking at this point? Well, then, why did we just send them a gift? What was the purpose of the gift? I mean, if Paul just says, not that I speak from want, I don't have any wants, I've learned to be content in whatever situation, and I can do all things for, through Christ who strengthens me, then why did we just send him a gift? What's the purpose of that? I mean, it sounds like he doesn't need the gift. And it could almost sound as if Paul was ungrateful for the gift, or that the gift was somehow unnecessary. Unnecessary. that is not what Paul is communicating to them at all. In fact, Paul wants them to know how much he appreciates their gift and how concerned he is about them. Which is why he says, you have done well. You Philippian believers. You guys have done well. This is as close to Paul saying thank you without actually stating the words thank you. And now he's pointing out what they have done for him. You, Philippian believers, have done something well. As one commentator says, this is more than a tip of the hat for their kindness, but positive and generous praise. This is positive and generous praise for the Philippian believers for what they have done for him. And what is it that they have done? Notice what he says there. In verse 14, he says, you have shared with me in my affliction, You, Philippian believers, have shared with me and my affliction. You see, the Philippian believers had a special relationship, a special bond with Paul. Back in chapter 1, Paul says that he prays with joy when he remembers them, especially because they have been participants in the gospel with him from the very first day that he arrived in Philippi. And then he says in chapter 1 and verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. You Philippian believers are in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. They were gospel partners with Paul from the very first day that Paul arrived in Philippi to share the gospel with them. And even now, ten years later, after Paul has left, it's been ten years since Paul first arrived in Philippi. And it's ten years later that he's writing this letter, and they are still what? Gospel partners. Providing for Paul and his needs. Gospel partners with him. Then at the end of chapter 2, we read about Epaphroditus and the work that he did to minister to Paul and to bring him this gift because they were so concerned for Paul. In fact, time and time again, the Philippians have showed their concern for Paul. They showed their concern for him when Paul had to leave Philippi and, and go on to Thessalonica. And then move on to Berea. They showed it when he had to leave Macedonia, which is the region of Philippi and Thessalonica and and Berea, that that region. Macedonia is the region. Philippi is one of the cities, one of the towns there in Macedonia. But Paul had to leave Macedonia. And he had to go on to Athens and and to Corinth and the region of Achaia because he was being persecuted by the Jews. They wanted to kill him, take him out. So he's got to move on from city to city. And as Paul was being persecuted and had to move on, and escape from city to city, it was the Philippian believers who continued to provide for his needs all along the way. In fact, Paul was uh, the Philippians were so supportive of Paul that he tells the Corinthians that it was as if he was robbing the Philippians because they were so supportive of him that he didn't have to take anything from the Corinthians when he was there ministering in Corinth. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.8. He says, I have robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. I've robbed other churches to serve you, Corinthians. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, where is that? It's Philippi. When they came, they fully supplied my need, and in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Who supplied all of Paul's needs? The Philippians. It was the Philippians. Now, Paul didn't actually rob the Philippians, (laughs) he wasn't a thief. He didn't actually rob them, but he knew that they gave to Paul out of their poverty. You see, the Philippian church was not a wealthy church, but they supplied all of his needs out of their own poverty. And being a poor church who loved Paul, they were so concerned for Paul that they wanted to make sure that they could do whatever it takes to take care of him. In fact, notice Paul reminds them of this in verse 15. Notice what Paul says there in verse 15. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. No one else. But you guys did. You shared with me. No other church. While Paul is being persecuted and kicked out of town, Thessalonica, and then Berea, and then down to Athens. It was the Philippians who were supporting him. What else does Paul need? Paul needs more? Take another collection. What do we have? Put it in. What do we do now? Go find Paul. Go send it to him. Make sure he gets it. We're going to take care of him. And what's interesting is that if you trace Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 16 through Acts chapter 18, after Paul left Athens, he arrives then in Corinth and he had to start making tents. He gets to Corinth and now he doesn't have enough money so he turns into a tent maker. He becomes a tent maker. That was his occupation before. He knows how to do this. And in in Acts 18 and verse 3, it says this, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And this is speaking of Paul staying with Aquila and Priscilla. Paul was a tent maker for a while in Corinth as he continued to preach the gospel. Paul then has to become bivocational. Make tents. Make tents. Earn a little money and keep preaching the gospel. Keep ministering to the needs of people. That was the Apostle Paul. But then, what's interesting, in Acts 18.5, after Silas and Timothy arrive and meet up with Paul, it says this, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, where's that? Philippi. That's Philippi. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And most commentators believe that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, that is from Philippi, and met Paul in Corinth, the reason why he was able then to devote himself completely to the word was because they brought him a financial gift from Philippi. No longer by vocational, Paul. Here's the gift. You're taken care of. Who did this come from? The Philippians the church of Philippi. That's why Paul says there in verse 15 of Philippians 4, he says, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, you were it. I went from town to town and I went to other churches and I was serving in these other churches, but you alone, Philippians, you took care of my needs. In fact, notice what Paul says in verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Thessalonica was the next town. After Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. It was the the next town that he traveled to. And while Paul was there in Thessalonica, more than once, someone from Philippi, here they come. Hey, we took another collection. Here you go, Paul. It's for you. Here's another gift. Oh, thank you, Lord. What does Paul do then? He rejoices in who? In the Lord. Because he knew it was God who was providing for him. Through the Philippian believers. I mean, talk about a giving church. These Philippian believers, they loved to give. If the Philippian believers knew where Paul was, they're going to send him a gift. Make sure he's being supportive. Where's Paul? Anybody heard where Paul's at? Oh, yeah, he's over in Thessalonica. Oh, great. He's close enough. Let's get him a gift. Where's he at now? Oh, he's in Corinth. Oh, Silas and Timothy. Oh, you guys are going to go see him? Here. Here's a gift. Take him. Take him a gift. They love to give. Now, think about this. If you were in Paul's shoes, what would it be easy to think about? Money, right? You know that this is a giving church. They give out of their poverty and they're still giving. And it would be so tempting to say at this point in this letter, and please keep the money flowing. Right? I mean, he knows their heart. He knows that they love to give and that they're giving out of their poverty. Just keep it coming. Paul could have said, in fact, I'm sending back with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, I'm sending him back. Epaphroditus was the one who took the letter back to the Philippians there in Philippi. And I'm sending back with Epaphroditus a support letter. You can send the next check to 123 Prison Row Rome. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Notice what this content man says in verse 17. Look at what he says there. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Who is Paul concerned with? Them. Others. The Philippian believers. You see, Paul didn't seek the gift, but he sought the profit or the fruit that would be credited to their account. He sought after the blessing that they would receive for their obedience to God. One commentator says about this verse, in strong contrast to any possible greedy money-mongering quest for their financial gifts is that which should be understood. What Paul is saying here is, look, I want you to know I'm not greedy. I'm not after the money. I'm not after the gift. He wasn't a greedy, money-mongering guy. Why? Because he was totally content. What did Paul care about? Paul cared about them cared about the Philippian believers his concern even in these difficult circumstances was for them was he thankful for the gift of course he was yeah he's thankful for the gift but was he now content because he got the gift from them no it wasn't the gift then that made him content Paul said I'm content Whether I have lots or whether I have little, learn to be content. It was never about the gift for Paul, it was always about who? About others. Always about others. You see, because of the faithful giving of the Philippians, Paul knew that he would be able to continue to preach the gospel. And every person who came to faith in Christ, Paul knew that God would reward the Philippians. And that's what Paul was seeking after. I'm not seeking the gift from you, but I seek the profit or the fruit that is credited to your account. Because as I've gone out and I've preached the gospel, all those in whom God has saved has been because of your faithfulness in giving to me so that I could go out and preach the gospel. God will reward you, Philippians, for your faithfulness. He's seeking after their spiritual benefit. He's concerned for their spiritual account. Not his own personal bank account, but for their spiritual account. He cared about the benefits of these believers and of others. And that's what a content person does. A content person is always considering other people. John D. Rockefeller, who has been widely considered the wealthiest American of all time and the richest person in modern history, was asked, How much is enough? And his response was, Just a little bit more. You see, many people have that mindset. Just a little bit more. Because their life is all about them. And they're never content. So how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Never content. But Paul was content Because he always had enough. Always. Whether he had little or whether he had lots. He always had enough. He was content. And Paul was never focused on self. He was always concerned for the well-being of others. And specifically other saints in the church. He was satisfied. And he had enough. In fact, he goes on in verse 18. Notice what he says there in verse 18, "But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God." Paul here is refor- reinforcing again that he does not seek the gift, because he is not motivated by selfish greed. It's not his motivation. It's not motivated by greed. Now notice the banking terms that Paul's been using so far. Notice there in verse 15 that word matter that's there. It can be translated as account. Then he speaks of giving and receiving. Then in verse 17 he speaks of profit and he wants it to increase to their account. And now he wants them to know that He has received everything in full. He's received everything in full. What does he mean by this? Well, for Paul, this letter essentially functions as a receipt, providing an accounting of their transactions and affirming the faithfulness of Epaphroditus as its courier. You see, Epaphroditus was the one who brought the gift to Paul. And essentially now what Paul is doing is he's writing this letter saying, I have been paid in full and giving them a receipt. The transaction has happened. Epaphroditus has been faithful in the mission that you guys sent him to do. You sent him with a gift and you said, Epaphroditus, go take this gift to the Apostle Paul in Rome. Epaphroditus, being the faithful servant that he was, says, I'll do it. And they said, make sure that you stay there with Paul and you serve him. He needs somebody to help him. You stay there and serve with him. So Epaphroditus goes. He takes the gift. He delivers it to Paul. Faithful in his mission. He almost died along the way. Paul knows that, so Paul sends him back. You've got to go back to Philippi. But Epaphroditus was faithful in bringing this gift. He had received it. Paul had received it safely and faithfully from Epaphroditus. In fact, he says there that he even has an abundance. That is, if they are sending a gift just to take care of his basic needs, well, they've gone over and above. You've gone over and above in providing for me in the gift that you've sent. And he's totally content. Isn't that what he said back in verse 12? He learned to be content in both having abundance and suffering need. Now he has abundance and he says, I am amply supplied. Notice what he says there in verse 18. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. That is, he's saying here, I'm filled to the top. Filled up completely because of the gift that you have sent with Epaphroditus. But notice that this gift was not just a gift that was sent to Paul. But this was also a gift that was given, notice at the end of verse 18, to who? To God. To God. This is a gift that you've sent to God. This gift that you've given, this financial gift that you've given, yeah, I've received it while I'm here in Rome. But what you have given, do you realize and recognize you've given it to God? As one commentator says, we can conclude that there are four parties involved in the practical matters of giving. We give as an expression of worship to God via some human agency for the benefit of other people you see that there we give as an expression of worship to God via some human agency for the benefit then of other people and the VBS offering that we took this morning we give out of a heart of worship to God through the church to benefit the children of VBS It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Which is exactly what our time of offering is every single Sunday morning. As the ushers are called to come forward, it's time now to worship the Lord. Announcements are over, and we're worshiping. That act of giving is an act of worship unto the Lord. We give as an expression of worship to God. The deacons collect it and it's used for the benefit of other people. John Kitchen says this, the very fact that a gift is being given to the church or a ministry does not negate the fact that it is being given to God as an act of worship. When you give to the church, when you give to a ministry... It's an act of worship unto God. And that's exactly how Paul saw this gift from the Philippians. In fact, notice how Paul describes this gift there in verse 18. He says, it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul here is using Old Testament language. And he's borrowing language from the sacrificial system. The sacrifices that Jews were to give were to be a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. But now in the new covenant, in the new covenant, it's not an animal that we give. We don't show up with goats every Sunday. (laughs) We don't show up with bulls to bring to the altar so that I can butcher them and slaughter them. As a sacrifice unto God. It's not what we do. We don't, we don't bring animals. But one of the ways that we offer an acceptable sacrifice to God is through our giving, our giving unto the Lord. And Paul knew that this gift that the Philippians gave was a sacrifice, but not just a sacrifice, but a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It was well-pleasing to God. And they gave out of their what? Their poverty. Unto the Lord. And it was this act of worship. As Paul sees the heart of worship of these Philippian believers. It was that that brought him great joy. When he sees God's children being obedient to the Lord in acts of worship, it brings him joy. His joy was not because he received that gift, but his joy came because he knew that they had given a sacrifice unto the Lord that was a fragrant aroma and well-pleasing to God. He knew that what they gave honored God. Honored the Lord. And that sacrifice that they gave would go toward their spiritual account. It's credited to their account. He knew that it would benefit them, and for that it brought him great joy. Then notice what he says in verse 19. Paul continues on and he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Paul is still focused upon who? Them. He's still concerned for them, not his own wants, not his own desires. He doesn't ask them and if you have a few more bucks laying around send them my way. No, he's focused on them. He's concerned about them. And Paul knows that God is going to provide for them. Paul speaks from experience here. Because what does God do for those who are his? He takes care of our what? Our needs. He always does. He takes care of our needs. Has God ever let Paul down? No, never. Not once has God ever let Paul down. You say, but, but Paul has, has been hungry. But, but Paul was suffering need. Was God letting him down? Not for one second. God was taking care of him while he's suffering need, while he's hungry. God supplied him with all that he needed. And Paul knows that. And he wants to remind the Philippians of this great promise of God. Look, They gave out of their poverty and they gave a sacrificial gift unto the Lord. And now Paul wants to remind them that this faithful God that they just gave to will supply all of their needs. Notice Paul does not say that God might supply some of your needs. But what does he say there? God will supply all. All your needs. It's a promise. God will do this. not God might do it. No, you can, you can be assured that God will provide for all of your needs. How does Paul know this? Personal experience. Think about all the hardships that Paul has gone through. All the things that Paul has gone through in his life. And what has God always done? Provided for his needs. Essentially what Paul is saying here is, as God through you has done for me, so he will do also for you in your needs. And this is a promise that Paul gives to them. It's a promise. They can bank on this. And I believe that the context here refers to the material needs that they have, need of. But that's what Paul is referring to here. It's material needs. God is going to supply all of the material needs that you have. That's why Jesus tells us, are we to worry? What we're to eat? Or what we're to wear? Are we to worry about any of that? We're not. Why? Why? Because God will take care of us. Just as he takes care of the birds outside, he'll take care of us. And just as God had supplied Paul's material needs, he will also supply their material needs. You see, Paul knows their heart of worship unto God and how they love to worship God through giving. Isn't this interesting? They're a poor church. And how do they love to worship? You would think, well, they get the guitar out and just sing a lot of songs. (laughs) No, through giving. But they're poor. Yep. And so everything that they give is what? A sacrifice. A sacrifice unto God. As so one commentator says, under the care of a sovereign God, nothing will arise that will outstrip God's ability and commitment to provide what is needed to continue in the way of obedience to Him. You see, as they have a heart of worship and obedience unto God to give to Him, is God then going to stop supplying them with what they need in order to worship Him through giving? He's not. God's not going to do that. Their heart is to obey God by way of giving. God is not going to strip that from them so that they have to stop obeying God because they say, well, we have nothing left to give. God knows their heart and their desire to worship Him through the obedient act of giving. And as they give it away, what does God do? Supplies them with more. So that they can do what? Obey God and worship Him? And give it away. And then what's God going to do? Supply them with some more. So that they can continue to obey God through giving. So that they can continue to worship God. Because God knows that's their heart. And what Paul is saying here is, you can Bank on this promise that God is going to supply all of your needs as you continue to sacrifice unto God. God's going to continue to provide for you so that you can continue to sacrifice. You see, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God, church. As we give unto the Lord, God will always provide for us. Always. Because He's faithful to take care of His children. What are we called to do? Be obedient. Just be obedient. Be obedient to the Lord. And how does God supply this? Notice what Paul says there. Again in verse 19, he says, according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now notice these two words. Two key words here. According to. See that there? It's key. Notice Paul doesn't say from or out of. But he says according to. That is, God does not just give you a little bit from everything that he has or out of everything that he has. It'd be like getting something from Mr. Rockefeller's account. Well, he could give you a dollar, and that is from his account, right? That is out of his account. But that's not according to his account. You see that? If he was to give according to his account, he would give you a lot more. Because he has a lot. You see, God's resources are limitless. They're limitless. God never lacks. And so when his children are in need, what does he do? He gives. He provides. He provides for them because he has the resources to provide for them because his resources are limitless. Notice what he says there. He says they are in Christ Jesus. He is the source and the channel of all God's great riches. When we are in Christ Jesus, God gives us grace to face whatever it is that you and I need. But this promise is only given to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. That's who this promise is given to. Only to those who are in Christ Jesus. Only to those who have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Only those who have been saved by Him. Only those who have confessed before a holy and righteous God that they are a sinner who has sinned against a holy and righteous God and has cried out for mercy to be saved. And that salvation happens because of what Jesus Christ did on a cross 2,000 years ago when he paid the ultimate sacrifice by giving himself to save sinners like us. And if you're here this morning and you are not in Christ Jesus, I urge you, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, for salvation. And if you do that, You will be in Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, this is a promise that's given to us. That when we sacrifice and we give unto the Lord, God has promised that He will always provide for our needs. Always. Now, look again at verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes people will take this verse and they claim it as a promise for wealth and prosperity, right? This is a famous verse. Health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. This is where they go, right here. He'll supply all your riches, all your needs, everything. But we have to see this in its context. What did the Philippians do? They did what? They gave sacrificially. They gave sacrificially. So what is the promise then to those who give sacrificially unto the Lord? He's going to meet what? All your needs. He'll meet all your needs. One commentator says it this way. If you honor me with your finances like the Philippian church had done, then I will meet all of your needs. And so what Paul is saying here is this. You met my need, God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of His riches in glory. You see, when this verse is taken out of context and used for the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, it's never used with contentment, is it? But that's the context here. All those who try and claim this verse. Out of context. Are never content. They're never content. Why? Because who are they concerned about? Self. Not others. God promises me wealth and prosperity and all of this stuff and they're going to stand up. and well, God has promised this, so you just give and you give to me. And, and it's all about them, self, never content. But Paul knows that because of the Philippians' sacrificial giving out of a heart of worship unto God that he's going to meet all of their needs. Do you see who Paul is still concerned about all the way through verse 19? Concerned about who? Them. Not himself. He's concerned about the saints in Philippi. He wasn't concerned about the gift or about his own situation, but he was concerned about the saints in Philippi. Why? Because he had learned to be content. And then, in light of this glorious promise and the mention of God's glory in verse 19, Paul then breaks into a doxology here. An outburst of praise and, and adoration that ascribes glory unto God. Notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows the great blessing that these Philippians are going to receive because of their sacrificial giving and it causes him to burst out in a doxology of praise unto God. Just as God has provided for all of my needs, He's going to provide for all of your needs. Oh, praise God, give glory to Him. That's all He can do. His heart breaks out in worship and adoration and praise because he knows that a sovereign God is taking care of his people. He's promised to do that. And he will do it. Paul's living proof of that. Paul goes from promise to praise, from an assuring word to ascending worship. All he can do is respond and worship unto God. As they have been faithful to worship God through their sacrificial giving, Paul then just breaks out in praise and worship unto God. In closing, what have we learned from Paul about being content? So we've studied these Verses here, verses 10 through 20, if you want to learn what it means to be a content Christian, first, trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty. Second, learn to be satisfied. Third, depend upon Christ's strength. And then finally, be concerned about other saints, others, other people. And if you live your life this way, watch and see how your own heart will be focused upon Christ and focused upon others instead of self. And then in your heart, you'll be able to break out in praise like Paul did saying, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great lesson that You teach us from Your Word. Thank You for a faithful man like the Apostle Paul. The lessons that we learn from his life. A man who is faithful to trust in You and trust in Your sovereignty no matter what the situation was in his life. He trusted in you. Lord, help us to live our lives in this manner. To be content in whatever situation it is that we are in in life. Help us to know and remember this great promise that you care for us. That you know our very needs. And that you always take care of your children. Father, help us to be faithful in worshiping you through giving as we learn such a great lesson from this poor Philippian church who loved you and who loved others and who showed it with a heart of sacrificial giving. Lord, we thank you for the work that you continue to do in and through our church. We thank you for the ministries that we have going on here where your word is proclaimed, where the truth of the gospel is being proclaimed, where your children are being strengthened and growing and lost are coming to know you. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless our ministries. And Lord, that we would continue to use the resources that you have given to us to bring praise and glory and honor to your name because that's what it's all about. May it never be about us, but always about you. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.